0: Welcome back. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to Primordial Dao Present Dao, episode 5: Emotional Intelligence and Traditional Chinese Medicine. Well, I've always wanted to understand more detail about how the five elements relate to emotions from seeing those charts myself and just looking at maybe an element of nature and how it relates to this organ and, and this feeling. So could we look at that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so the, the first thing most people experience when they learn about the five elements is a bunch of lists. Now that's a weird thing to say, but if you look at any kind of textbook, it's going to say the element of wood relates to your liver, it connects to your eyes, it has something to do with your tendons, there's the color ching, or kind of greenish blue, and on and on and on. There's many, many like lists of, of things that we uh, put in that kind of heading. And in fact, you could say, if you were to be really kind of playful with this, when you talk about the five elements, you're basically dividing the universe up into five different pieces of pie. So, no matter what you're talking about, it's about one-fifth of what's coming into being in the universe. The thing that makes the five elements unique, and I really don't like the term elements because it makes us think of a solid object instead of something else. I like the term phases and phases of transformation because what we're really looking at in the five phases, and especially with emotion, is a quality of chi a quality of how nature is interacting with itself. It's a quality of movement. So the easiest way is to go through the four or five seasons. There's five, but, well, actually there's 60 something, but we'll come to that another day. (laughs) Um, If we were to start the year off in spring, imagine what it feels like to be a small, you know, piece of a plant who's growing towards the sun. And maybe there's something in your way or something beside you, and you have to grow faster to get more light before something else gets the light that you need. So there's a kind of competition, you know, I want to get in in where I'm going, but I got to get there in a hurry or else I'm going to lose. Or if you're that proverbial piece of grass underneath of a sidewalk, and you're growing through the crack, there's something about you that's actually going to break that sidewalk and move it out of the way eventually, right? We've all seen that. and It's like, how does a piece of grass move an entire sidewalk, like what the heck? (laughs) And that relates to a very specific quality of movement, and that can turn into anger. Because if I was that piece of grass and someone put a sidewalk on my head, I'd probably be a little bit upset, (laughs) right? You know, and that's a very simple way of looking at it, but it it brings up, you know, into our awareness that quality of movement. I'm moving in a direction, I just want to get where I'm going. And that's that quality of growth, or of plant life, or as we translate things into English, wood. Because the character we use doesn't usually just mean plant life. It means growing. uh, It doesn't just mean wood. The character for that usually means the growing nature of plants. And, you know, fundamentally the most useful thing we get besides food is pieces of wood. So, of course, in the West, that's the translation that we're the most attracted to. Right. That makes sense. But the feeling that that implies is the feeling of growing in a direction, being rooted, but also being kind of in a hurry to get where you're going so you don't lose. Because there's some competition in nature, right?
0: Yep. I think we all kind of share the same challenge as that piece of grass. So
1: Yep. So when it comes Sometimes, to that... Oh, sorry, after you. <laughs> So when it comes to that quality of movement, that's uh, a whole range of emotional experience from anger to frustration, to disappointment, to resentment, to fury, to even depression. If that piece of grass feels like it just can't move the sidewalk enough right now, right? So there's a lot of emotion that's going on there. And then if we were to move into summer, where the plants are flowering, they're creating little seeds, they're doing all of this stuff that's like the most amazing, the most radiant, the most expressive, the most dramatic thing that they could do. That relates to the quality of fire, which is to basically be like the sun, expressing yourself in every direction at once, like a light. Now, the emotion that comes with that is usually described as a kind of joy uh, not, not love in the technical kind of sense like romantic love, but the kind of radiant, compassionate love that you would get from maybe someone like the Dalai Lama. Or the kind of radiant joy you see in a parent that's holding on to its, its little baby, and you're just like... oh, Right? And that's a really great emotion, but it can also turn into something kind of manic. You know, like, I've got the best idea ever. It's going to be the biggest dot com. I just, everyone's got to sit down and shut up and listen to me because, wow, wow. And you're like going way off because you're not thinking about balance. You're just so caught up in the fire of the moment that you're kind of being consumed by it. And I'm going to skip a traditional sort of a, a part of this and talk about, Uh, the energy of fall. So the energy of fall has to do with things beginning to dry up, to atrophy, to wither, uh, and also to store all of those resources for the future. So the trees are pulling their sap down into the ground. The seeds are falling on the ground, maybe to just turn into something in the spring, or maybe to be eaten and pooped out by a bear to turn something into the spring, because, or to turn into something in the spring a few miles away. Nature's kind of got this thing figured out. But that whole quality of things gathering together and sinking downwards, um, another image that helps people with that is looking at how clouds form they they start as mist, then they become really solid mist. And then at a certain point, they become to coalesce together into little seeds of water like rain and begin to fall. And that whole energy, uh, that whole movement of energy uh, of things gathering and coalescing and becoming really specific and, and coherent, like a certain kind of sap or a certain kind of seed, that is the energy we we attribute to metal, right? kind of like condensation and it has to do with things going from liquid to solid right from formless into form right and we definitely kind of want that you know aspect of of nature and in a way from an emotional point of view that relates to feeling the kind of sadness and the kind of loss cuz summer's over now You know, the big free, easy energy that was is missing, and now I have to come away from, say, the mania and the celebration to, uh, you know, a kind of gathering of truth, you know, and allowing things to come together in that way. And, you know, that often is experienced as a kind of grieving, a kind of loss, you know, kind of sadness, you know, in some ways. But it's also about honoring, you know, what was. in in, in a more specific way. And then we go deeper into winter. And winter is much more about stillness. It's much more about all that water turning into snow and falling to the ground, and then melting into a pond, and then waiting in its stillness to be the resource for that entire ecology. I think of like a mountain stream where I go hiking in the mountains and I find a little spring with a little pond, and I'm like, that's the perfect example of the five elements as it relates to the phase of water, because now it's something in stillness that's gathered, it's, you know, it's ready, and um, it's ready to basically feed all of the trees and grass and animals that come to that pond. And that's the quality of the tendency of movement or the phase of water, which is coalescing into something that's now ready to return into usefulness, but it's just on the just on the moment of of being stillness, but almost ready to pour over the edge of the the, the pond into the world. And that's got to do with the energy of your kidneys. Now because of all of that connecting and coalescing and resourcing, if that doesn't work very well, you're going to feel the opposite, which is, I don't have what I need. I have a lack of resources, I have a lack of instincts, I have a lack of confidence, so I'm going to feel more afraid. Right? I'm going to feel a lack of confidence because when I reach into my inner mountain for my, my spring or my pond of what I need to get up and solve this problem, I feel like that's missing. Right? So those are the kind of the energetic phases and qualities. Now when you look at the four seasons uh, from a Chinese medicine, especially a Taoist point of view, there's a fifth season. And some people say it's just the end of summer. Sometimes people call it like a late summer Indian summer. right? Um, what's more true is that it's actually the season that happens between each of the transitions between the four seasons. So, you kind of go through the height of summer, and then summer becomes as summer as it's ever going to be, and then it kind of hovers there, and it kind of summers out or peters out as an influence, and then gradually it turns into fall. But there's this whole period of time from kind of like, you know, through August into September, where it's kind of summer, kind of fall, but it's kind of in, um, in the middle as well you know and then we have the same thing between you know kind of the transformational part of fall to where fall is just sort of like hovering before it really starts to become winter where you know oh my god now there's snow everywhere and everything's you know hibernating and still and probably really hungry and then there's this period of time in early spring where things are melting but nothing's really growing you know so there isn't a lot of real change in the in the shape of life but the world is getting ready for that you know and then there's this period of time at the end of spring where spring is still springing but it hasn't really turned into the like wow of summer you know through April and May at least where i live where you know this the season seems kind of like going back and forth between i think i'm summer i think i'm winter i think i'm summer i think i'm winter so those four intermediate seasons are related to the energy or the the quality of soil which doesn't really have a tendency of movement it's considered to be the field or the, the substrate or the structure of the universe that transformation moves through. So, from an emotional point of view, uh, it relates to kind of just ideation and just thinking or th- overthinking or even moving into a little bit of worry, you know, because, you know, we're, we're always in the presence of soil, we're always in the presence of the mind. And we're always reflecting on what's going on around us in that state of our mind. So you can often just qualify that as just sort of thought, in a way. But there's a deeper quality of that that we're going to talk about in a bit that becomes sort of the root for all of uh, all the other emotions that we're going to talk about.
0: That's a really great way to illustrate using the seasons to, and, and corresponding elements to emotions and. Uh, that was a really great breakdown. Yeah, because it's action.
1: about e-motion. It's about how things move in the world. And each nature has a certain quality of movement.
0: Adaptability and, and flow and just being with the seasons. Living with the seasons, of course, is another thing we talk about. So, mm. That Indian summer is the best. <laughs> I love that one. Everything smells really good. The leaves are just starting to come down. Things are golden. What's your favorite season?
1: Um, I don't know if I have one. I just like watching them go from one end to the other. You know, from a practical point of view, I'm a mountain hermit, so I live in kind of the bushes, and uh, I have to chop wood for the winter and do all those things to be able to live where I do. So I guess I'm least favored about the uh, kind of going from fall into winter, because it's just a lot of, you know, heavy lifting and chopping and moving and doing things that... (laughs) You know, you have to do, but they're 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 kind of just like you know a constant chore. But I also just love the feeling of knowing that going from fall to winter, that there's going to be a change in my meditation. There's going to be uh, you know longer periods of time where I'm not going to work, where I can go deeper into practice or other things that are kind of my my kind of inner playground or something like that. So I think there's a kind of a quality to every season that's just magical and beautiful and maybe a little bit challenging. But I would say. The one, the one that I, I look forward to the least is, oh, my God, I have this many weeks to get this much done just to make it through the winter.
0: <laughs> yep, impending snow. Yep. So then once it's here, it's here. We're in Canada, so yep. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> so now that we've broken down the five elements and how they relate to the seasons a little bit, how can that help us with understanding emotional intelligence?
1: Well, I think the the way I like to do this with with, uh, if I'm teaching this in a class is and I I don't have something for people to look at because most of our listeners are listeners. But if you think of that five pointed star and you think about, you know, your liver and anger, your kidneys and fear, your lungs and sadness, your stomach and spleen and worry, um, your heart and mania and things like that in the sense of organ and dysfunction. That's where most people actually really start with Chinese medicine and emotional intelligence, is they can make you sicker. However, the teaching on the five phases and emotional intelligence, uh, if you actually study Chinese medicine to become a Chinese doctor, has more to do with instinctual needs. In the sense that every one of those emotions we have are actually an emotional, psychological, and spiritual need to grow. Your meridians are similar in a way, but that's a much more complicated conversation. So I'm gonna go through um, uh, one as an example, and then I'll play with it a bit, and we can just chat. So I I wanna make sure this makes sense to you, Alex, because you're kind of the ambassador for all of our listeners to make sure I'm making sense. Good job, by the way. (laughs) Um, So I'm gonna start with anger because it's, it's really quite easy, I think, to look at. Sure. So we have this idea, some people have this idea, If you're angry all the time, it's going to hurt your liver. If your liver is sick, you're probably going to be an angry person. Okay. Why do we have anger? Where does it come from? Why is it something that is so important that it's one-fifth of what Chinese medicine says pay attention to? And the truth of that is that you need to experience a certain instinct called assertion in order to become a whole person. Assertion is a feeling, it's intuitive, it's very present, and it's very interactive with the world. So we go back to our plant trying to grow through our sidewalk, the little piece of grass, its assertion is to turn into whatever plant it is. And the way it's going to do that is to keep reaching down into the world for water and up into the sky for light. So assertion in a way is kind of like reaching into the world physically, mentally, and emotionally To find out what's there. Okay. Now, here's a quick, silly story. Uh, A few years ago, I was living with a woman, and she wanted uh, us to build a yurt um, on the land we were on so that we had a place to go and hang out where there was no electricity and we could just hang out uh, in nature and maybe sit by a fire and, you know, be cool because that was. That was what it was going to be all about. And I was like, okay, that's that's what we're going to do. So I built this big deck, and then I went and I built all these jigs. I used to be an engineer, so I'm pretty handy with tools and stuff. And there I am uh, getting ready to build the yurt. And then the city comes by and tells me, you can't just build a house because you want to. You have to get permits. You have to pay all these things. You have to get blah, blah, blah. So I was kind of upset because I was halfway through building a yurt. My assertion was build my girlfriend a yurt. <laughs> the city said I'm a piece of concrete and you have to not do that (laughs) so you know I spent some time being you know upset and then feeling frustrated and then feeling resentful and then you know yelling at the city and then arguing with them about the rules and eventually I picked up all my tools and all of my parts and drove it down the highway to a friend's place who was just outside of the city and we built this beautiful yurt on their land so anytime we wanted to go there we just had to hike you know you know about five miles through the bush to get to the yurt which she was even more happy with so yay so um my assertion was to build a yurt my assertion wasn't to fight with the city i could have easily spent two years fighting with the rules fighting against the concrete being angry being resentful being frustrated but instead i remembered (laughs) oh yeah my assertion was to build my friend a yurt so we did because we just changed some part of what we were we're going to do to actually make it work. And you could say that's just a, a funny story, but it's also kind of a representation of flow. My assertion is, fill in the blank, how I get there is not getting stuck with the obstacles. The obstacles are going to teach you a lot about a lot of things, but they're not going to solve the assertion. They're just going to refine it and move it around a little bit. but. You have to be able to stay with the feeling of assertion, because that's the underlying instinct and the true emotional uh, status or or um, nature of your liver. So if you know, just think about that for a moment, Alex. Think about the last time you got angry, angry with something, or frustrated with something for a long period of time, and ask yourself, did I lose focus on the assertion and start to focus on the problem instead of the solution?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's say you have a relationship in some way that's not working out and you're having a hard time communicating about the issues. Instead of looking at the core of where those come from, sometimes the discussions form around just the little outcomes, and you're not really getting anything done <laughs> just talking about that. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. So, so, yeah. So, for- I
0: mean, back to the assertion of, hey, you just want to be authentic. You just want everyone to be happy here. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes you maybe do lose a little bit of uh, track on, on that focus and get caught up in some of the outcomes instead.
1: Yeah, and that, that's sort of the point is if we focus on who wins the argument, we're not really focusing on the assertion of a, having a healthy relationship or the assertion of communicating or even kind of solving the dilemma. We're just saying, okay, concrete, I will win. <laughs> right? And then that can be with the people in your life and it can be with different parts of you on the inside of your own life. But again, the the magic, you know, idea here is there's an instinct at the root of the nature of your liver and the nature of anger itself and the nature of life itself called assertion. If you stay with that, well, then you're going to win at all of that, not just the argument or not just the concrete. Another example is fear. If you know, and we all naturally, I think, feel fear. We feel insecurity. We feel like we're lacking confidence in some ways if we're in situations that are new or challenging us in new ways. But that's a an emotional reaction, and in a way, it's kind of like fight, flight, freeze. It's it's all about uh, the reaction to the situation, not the instinct that's going to get you through it. Because the instinct for your kidneys, and I have a sense you're going to love this one, Alex, because it's right up your alley in in, in a way. Um, The instinct that we have for your kidneys that's the root of life that can turn into fear is a feeling of readiness.
0: That's part of what we're trying to always do. Stillness, but ready. Like you're about to jump or start. but
1: Yeah, the example I I... The example I always give people is, imagine that you're standing um, in a room and you're either going to start dancing, you're going to start playing a sport, or you're going to start doing some kind of martial arts. And your legs are locked straight. And you're probably scrolling your phone. And you're completely disconnected from your body. Now, if it's going to be a dance party, if it's going to be uh, Uh, some kind of indoor football, or if it's a combat class or something like that, um, you're in some trouble because you're distracted and your knees are locked and your body has no connection to itself or the world. Now, uh, if you're new to the show, uh, Alex is doing a 1,000 days of Qigong right now. Way to go, Alex. And um, I would bet, I don't know, pretty good money, that a lot of what you're doing is focused on keeping your knees bent.
0: Yeah, and correctly tracked over the feet, so they're not bowed in or out. It's one of the main focuses while doing standing meditation.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why standing meditation, walking meditation, and all of these, these other skills, and all these martial arts are usually practiced in a deep stance, because as soon as you bend your legs, as soon as you drop into your your animal body, your instinctual body, like you would if you're just going to play football or start dancing or you know do something really, you know, exciting, that's the difference. Right? Cuz if I drop into readiness, of course I might lose the game and I could be insecure about that outcome or I could be afraid about that outcome or or something. But the thing that's going to change that is to focus on the feeling of being present and ready and in my body the way an animal has to be to just get through every day of its life. Human beings, you know, we're kind of funny. We we live a lot in our heads and we live a lot in the future. And, you know, for us to deal with any really emergent, intense, you know, holy crap situation, the only way we're going to be ready for it is to be ready. And ready is a state of being. And it's got many qualities. And it's just like that pond in the mountains. That pond is just like the forest bending its knees, getting something prepared for spring when spring happens, right? So it's that, that feeling of readiness, that feeling of uh, you know, being kind of in traction to the ground. Because whatever happens, I'm going to have to be in the most agile, the most effective response I can physically. Because fear is almost always about some kind of physical outcome or future outcome that's going to hurt you.
0: Right. Actually, a noticeable thing about even just the idea of keeping your knees bent or staying in more ready, um, it seems to be a big thing where when you do that, your your lower back kind of opens up, now your tailbone's kind of facing the right way. And when that happens, you try to translate the feeling of like sitting in a chair to standing over here while sort of sitting lightly in a chair. and. But I'm just saying that when you when you get your back into it and you get your tailbone, it, it uh, definitely helps you to be more present and focused, and you feel like you just have more of a presence, like you're like more really there. And then you wonder, oh boy, like how much time did I spend not even noticing that I was not completely here? <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, that's so,
1: so readiness is the instinct. And if we can't feel ready, then we are going to feel more uh, insecure, more afraid. And it's not just as simple as bending your knees. It's putting in the time and the practice, you know, and the willingness to change how you identify with who you are. And that's not about your narrative and your story. It's about going, okay, come on, animal body, instinctual body. I'm dropping into my pelvis. I'm dropping into my sacrum. I'm feeling my deepest instinctual capacity here and And that that's like that's medicine it's effective yeah and and that's why in you know in kind of the five element teachings, it's such an important thing, especially for people who have you know problems with their kidneys and their adrenals, because if they can get ready, feel ready, drop into their body, and and you know feel powerful, that's who they become
0: so if we can be assertive and we can be ready. What other instincts do we need to know about?
1: Glad you ask, because that's sort of the the teaching on emotional intelligence is a, it's really about recognizing that your emotions are communications about instinctual need, or instinctual lack of experience, or lack of self trust. So the next one is a really tricky one, um, because our culture has, our language doesn't really have certain words in it that other cultures have or other languages have. So I'm going to have to do this as a little bit of a story. So imagine, if you will. Um, if you don't mind, Alex, and for the listener. Imagine, if you will, that it's 10,000 years ago and you're walking along some mountain meadow and you see a bear. And the bear does the ancient, you know, bear language of telling you that it doesn't want you in its house by pounding its feet on the ground. So maybe you don't speak bear very well and you're like, hi, bear, I'm just going to come over and do some Instagram, you know, selfies with the bear or whatever, you know. (laughs) Um... And then the bear communicates in bear language that it really, really doesn't want to do any photo shoots right now by getting up on its back legs and making a whole bunch of really big noises with its mouth and its hands. And, you know, again, maybe you don't speak bear, so you kind of walk up to the bear saying, hey, I really think this is fun. And then the bear gets mad and knocks you on the head and it puts you on the ground and it rips off your left arm, puts your arm over its shoulder because it's going to go home and have a barbecue. And then because it's a nice bear, it's going to take some moss and stick it into your shoulder so you don't bleed to death because... This is kind of a funny story. So anyway, fun imagery, but now it's back to 10,000 years ago and you're limping home after being beat up by a bear and having your left arm yanked off. Just a cartoon, try not to take this too literally. 10,000 years ago when you get home, you're probably living in some kind of hut or pit house or teepee or something. And you're gonna have to learn how to start a fire by rubbing sticks together with one hand. And you're going to probably have to learn to tie on your leather shoes or moccasins or whatever you're wearing on your feet with one hand. And, in fact, you're going to probably have to learn to make your shoes over and over and over again because they wear out so fast with one hand. So, this is sort of a weird cartoon about loss. Because you just lost your left arm. But it's also about a really powerful, and poignant, and meaningful thing that many of us go through when we lose something. And again, English doesn't have certain words in it, so I'm going to use the term adaptive pause. Because I go back to my hut, and I have to learn how to make shoes and tie my shoes again with one hand. I have to learn how to live in my life again with respect to what I've lost. Now, if I lose my parent because of their are old, or I lose a friend because of an illness or an accident, I have to come into my life with respect to what I've lost. Maybe me and my girlfriend have broken up, and I have to go back into my life with respect to no longer having her in my life, you know, or whatever the, the situation may be. But that period of time, that adaptive pause, is described that way because if you're going to go and relearn how to fit into your life missing something, adding a whole bunch of new things or expecting yourself to be full-on, super dynamic, ready for everything, super assertive, may not be the thing to do. The thing to do may be to focus on feeling ready, but ready for the feeling of loss, ready to learn how to be in your life with respect to what you've lost. And eventually, that feeling of taking the time it takes to reconnect to yourself in the world, with respect to what you lost, uh, have lost, is called acceptance. Right? But we go through like the five stages of grief, and we do all of these things to get to that acceptance, and it doesn't happen right away. So sometimes people will will translate that Chinese term, saying, "Oh, yeah, the instinct for sadness and grief in your lungs is acceptance." I don't really like that term because acceptance, in that sense, expects you to go through that whole process of grieving automatically. Or it assumes that, you know, just being passive and accepting things is the best way to be instinctually alive. And there's really nothing passive about instinct, right? So this instinct to have this adaptive pause to relearn how to fit into your life is kind of like that quality of readiness, but it's also a quality of practical uh, realignment to the world. And a lot of patience and a lot of self-love and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of letting go. While you feel the emotion of grief and sadness and loss, eventually you will you'll get to acceptance but only by reconnecting to the world with some respect to that. It's a process.
0: Yeah I mean it's a lot healthier than the alternative where a lot of people Try to replace what's lost in their life, maybe with something that's not so healthy for them.
1: Oh, yeah, no one's ever done that before. (laughs) (laughs) Not me, never.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'll take a good sandwich if that helps. (laughs) There, there There you go. It's not too many.
1: Yeah, so we, you know, if we look at fear as sort of pathological and readiness as being more instinctual. We think of anger and frustration as being kind of pathological or immature, but we understand assertion is finally gonna get us through that, you know, in the sense of emotional intelligence and gaining wisdom and experience. We've learned that um, in hard times when you've lost a lot, you know, you can't just be on automatic. You have to go through a transformational process and heal, right, because that's the emotional intelligence to get to acceptance, not to just, you know, be impatient about waiting for acceptance to happen, which sounds like a lot of wood, not a lot of metal. <laughs> right? So, then we come to the this quality uh, of fire, the quality of your heart, and that idea that we can get manic or, or really kind of overly excited and caught up in things and potentially exhaust ourselves in a way. So, this is a tricky one, and I always like to ask someone this. Alex, what do you think the emotional instinct of your heart would be?
0: I think it comes from a place where it wants to get along with people <laughs> and to be happy and, and, and just fulfilled and loved. So I, I suppose love would be the short answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that, that's in a way true, but it's also in a way kind of like saying acceptance is the answer for grief. You could say that's just sort of like being in a bit of a hurry. Because right? yes. to say I want to get to a loving relationship with this uh, might be a really great place to kind of land. But I would say that's also true of all of these emotional intelligence tools because they're all balancing us towards a more loving way of being. In Chinese medicine, when we look at the the, the actual quality of, of being, that's the instinct for your heart. Uh, again, English doesn't have a word for that. Uh, the closest in, in Chinese or the the word in Chinese that's used is uh, càn. And that word is often translated uh, either as appreciative attention, which is a quality of love, or as a kind of almost uh, committed, um, perhaps even intense discernment.
0: Okay. So let's say I'm... Appreciative (laughs) attention. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying I really like that. Appreciative attention is a really nice way to put how to express uh, positive feeling towards someone. It's it's a great great way of looking at it right there.
1: Yeah, so if I want to move towards a loving experience with someone, perhaps someone new, it's going to start with that appreciative attention. And that's the thing that we can all say, you you know, you'll find a new lover, you get a new car, you get a new, I don't know, whatever. Um, the part you're going to start feeling is all of the nuances of appreciation. I really like their nose. I really like their laugh. I really like the color. I really like whatever. And that appreciative attention, you know, gives a kind of like, uh, it gives your kidneys uh, that quality of readiness. It gives your, your liver that sense of assertion. You know, I'm ready for more of this person. My assertion is to get closer to this person. And I'm going to do that through appreciating more of who they are. But I also have to be very honest that, you know, it's 50-50. This person might be full of crap, or that this car might be, a, you know, a, you know a, what do they call bad cars? Like a um, lemon, A lemon, yeah, there you go, All right? So, this is where we have that idea of tsan, meaning appreciative attention, but also a kind of visceral discernment in the sense that this person might also be full of crap. This car might be a lemon. So when we move towards this this heart-centered kind of appreciation for the world, we have to find two feet. One that's really like, oh, I'm so happy. Everything you do is amazing. I appreciate every little nuance, so I love every little moment. But then we also have to go, and after a few weeks, I'm starting to realize you lie a lot and you steal things and, or whatever, you know, so I'm gonna making up the worst things I can think of here. But that that's the the thing that san is about, and in fact that's one of the primary qualities of Taoist meditation have an appreciative attention for every thought you have and have the discernment to realize which one of them are b s and really just haunting you
0: um, yeah having the tools to be able to you know, essentially prepare yourself for a better experience is what this <laughs> what this sounds like so yeah yeah that's so how do we look at discerning? Then how can we protect ourselves emotionally from? Um, I would say like challenging relationships and things like that. How can we sort of filter that out?
1: Well, that's that's the practice of tsan, you know? right? And and again, maybe instead of like you know, if I think of like, because again, it's it's like all five elements, right? Mm-hmm. If the wood in me, the assertion in me, gets carried away by let's get married. I've known you for twenty-seven minutes, and I think this is perfect. Then maybe, you know, that assertion is a little bit more like uh, an exaggeration, right? You know, or a lot of impatience anyway. So the discernment can be of all those qualities. You know, am, am I committing to this belief that I'm falling in love with this person because I'm afraid of being alone? So instead of being ready for the truth of what needs to be for all beings to be happy and to grow. Uh, I'm just being selfish and clutching onto this person because I just hate being alone and I'm afraid of that feeling, right? And I can I mean I can go on and on with with all of them. It's just it's just sort of realize that this is kind of like almost like math. You take any situation and you go through all five elements and all five of your instincts. You're gonna find some really good truth in there. Because we also have one more to go. All
0: right, these are great tools. <clears throat>
1: So, the last one is the quality of soil, or earth, and that relates to your spleen and stomach in, in Chinese medicine. And again, it's often related to a kind of a worry, you know, or uh, overthinking and, you know, looping and stuff like that. It's kind of like the enemy of your meditation, in a way, because it's all about your mind and what's going through your mind all of the time. Because again, in the ancient way of looking, through the, looking at this, soil is the medium that the four other active elements move through. So your fear is an instinct but it also produces thought and specific kinds of thought. Anger produces thought and a specific quality and impatience and intensity and and aggressiveness of thought, right? So it's noticing that thought and and the mind are the medium through which we experience a lot of our emotion. It turns out, and this is so cool, it's like one of my favorite things to share, the instinct for the emotional well-being can turn into worry the instinct that can really help you with your digestive system and your spleen from a chinese medicine point of view is imagination
0: okay so kind of um not really fake it till you make it but maybe just have like a sense of direction and and being able to picture what you're working towards
1: Or <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, it'd be fun to make little statements like that for each of them, you know, like for imagination, fake it till you make it, you know, for your kidneys, bring it on. You know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but, but in a way, that's the idea, because, you know, you look at children, they learn by imagination. You know, they're going to play house, they're going to play doctor, they're going to play all these things where, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, see what it would be like if they just made it up, because it's safe. There's no consequence, and they can play it out as if it's real because they're playing pretend, right? As adults, we want to solve a problem. You kind of have to take a step back and get into a frame of mind when you're actually calm enough and have all of your wits about you to actually make a really good plan. But you're not going to make a really good plan unless you've been trained at problem solving and that specific kind of plan. So, like everyone throughout all of history, you're going to have to use your imagination and play. What if this? What if that? What if I built a yurt at my friend's house instead of my house? <laughs> and when you start getting into that what if kind of, you know, like your your mind is like a drafting board and you can just put ideas up there and move them around without any fear of some consequence, you're just playing with your imagination. And that's something modern life has lost. Adults don't trust imagination. And in fact, we kind of think that you're a grown up when you stop using your imagination.
0: Life's more fun with imagination. Come on.
1: life, life is only <laughs> gonna work with imagination because it's one of the five <laughs> fundamental instincts you need to have functional capacity and emotional intelligence.
0: Well great. Let's keep keep practicing that. Keep that inner child, you know. Don't lose touch about be enthused. Let's have fun.
1: You know So th- this is usually how I wrap up this conversation and, and I'll just be clear with people right now. You and I, Alex, we're just talking about the instinct of each emotion. Okay. There's also a social intuitive need for each emotion and there's also an existential need for each one okay. right for each of the five elements. So we wouldn't have this, this show would go like for three hours if we went into all of that. But, <laughs> but um, this, this is usually a great way to wrap it up for people. So no matter what you're going through, Let's assume that you're going through something hard and it's going to take time and it's going to change you. So let's begin by reawakening your imagination so that you can reimagine some parts of you and your life and your future. So I'm going to hold up my mind and I'm going to kind of like clean it off so that I don't get stuck on what I bring into my mind because then I might believe that that's my problem, instead of, this is my chalkboard, this is where I do the, 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 this is where I actually begin to solve my problem. So, I want to keep that chalkboard, my imagination open, and then I want to hold an assertion. I'm going to keep the assertion to keep my mind open, and I'm going to get the feeling of readiness so that as I hold that, you know, imagination, that that space in my mind, I can hold on to the feeling of my adaptive pause. Right? My assertion is to be in this adaptive pause, to be in this period of time where I'm feeling ready and I'm feeling tsan, that appreciative attention and discernment for whatever comes into my awareness so that I can begin to get rid of the things I know are not serving me right? Just by deciding not to focus on them. And hold that intention, that assertion, that my imagination is the place my adaptive pause is going to work. And I'm going to move through those stages of grieving into acceptance. And then I'm going to be a person who feels stronger and wiser and more patient and more connected to the world because I've just done the work of healing something really hard. So now that I'm really feeling like I'm more all of me than just the hurt me, or just the, you know, person with a problem me, now my imagination is free. My appreciative attention is open. My assertion is kind of like a puppy without a toy waiting for the next toy. Like, bring it on. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Let's play. Because I'm ready for whatever happens next. And then it's just a matter of discernment and imagination to decide what my life wants to look like next. And if I can stay assertive, and ready, and discerning, letting go of what I don't need, accepting the truths that I have to, my imagination is now the most powerful thing in the known universe. If you ask Einstein when he was alive, what is the most powerful part of the human mind? What makes you so smart, smart guy? He's like, i actually not that smart. I just practice using my imagination as a skill.
0: Okay. And thankfully, Thank you. he did. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as a, as a way of training imagination, it's just a constant focus on maintaining all of these qualities as you go about the day.
1: Yeah, and it's really about making the discernment between pathological, reactive, intense emotions that are usually a bit unconscious and deeply instinctual needs that are actually the ground in which we all grow. Makes sense to me. Yeah, cuz that's the emotion and emotional intelligence of traditional Chinese medicine and Taoism is you are a reflection of nature. You know, we often say as above so below. The universe within you is a reflection of the universe around you. So if the universe has these four big dynamic seasons and this intermediate season, then studying the nature of how nature moves studying the nature of how instinctual experience and emotional, unconscious experience move, now you're developing deep and profound emotional intelligence and consciousness and an awareness of who you are, who you're not, at least not yet, and probably more importantly than anything, who the person who's in your face right now with whatever it is they're coming at you with, who they really are in their, the sense of their emotional intelligence. And I don't mean that with judgment. I mean that with that specific kind of discernment, meaning you might be the most important person I'll ever know, but you all also might be just a crazy person full of crap. And I have to be the person who holds my space, holds my ground to understand your either lack or your abundance of emotional intelligence so we can communicate skillfully or choose to not communicate at all. In my work as a doctor, I meet, I don't know how many new people that I've never met before, you know, in a given week. And my job is to understand them for them. No matter who they are, where they come from, whether or not they are full of crap, or they're really, really deep and conscious and, and you know, wise in some way. That doesn't matter, right? And I, th- I wish we all had some some time in our lives to learn to be like that. So, that every time you met someone, you would actually give yourself a few minutes to decide, oh, yeah, this person's a little bit, you know, uh, impatient, or they're in trauma, or they're addicted, or they're completely aggressive all of the time, or they're so unaware of who they are that they're just making stuff up to just try and get through five minutes of insecurity. And then be like, okay, this is who I'm talking to. And, you know, I have to be intelligent about, you know, how my emotional responses are, but more importantly for a lot of other people, whether or not they're even emotionally intelligent at all. Because I've met many people in my career as, as a clinician that they're running on automatic. They're running on a complete lack of understanding of who they are and how fractured they are on the inside. So just on the off chance that anyone listening to this show is feeling that emotionally uh, either jammed up, or stuck, or uh, unaware, or uh, aloof, or above it all, or completely broken apart on the inside. Look into those five phases of movement. Look into those five instinctual qualities of being. Apply them to what's coming up in in your mind. You know, slow your roll and learn to go through that that adaptive pause until you can accept everything that's happened in your life. And for most people who've experienced a lot of trauma. That takes a couple of years. Right. So, today's episode is really about bringing in a very practical uh, set of skills, if you will. set of tools that uh, more than anything, at least in my experience, more than anything, this tool, these tools are for people who can't sit in meditation because it's just too much emotional intensity, too much mental looping. So it might be better for them to go for a walk and feel into those five different energies, those five different instincts, and see where you're really at. Slow down, do some journaling. This is about the truth and about transformation.
0: And having the tools to be able to communicate with someone who might be uncooperative towards Setting up a healthy relationship or healthy communication is so huge. I mean, like you were saying, there, there's plenty of people who just aren't even aware that they aren't aware. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not necessarily their fault, right? It's just life. You know, it just makes. You're you're right. We're a product of our environment. So, yeah, at least being able to help people maybe see a little more yeah. can be cool or nice. Um,
1: I got a so. weird question for you, Alex. Yeah, how long have you been teaching martial arts?
0: Mm, I, on and off since I was about sixteen when I was in Taekwondo, helping teach with uh, teach the class there. So that makes almost fifteen years now. I guess.
1: Well, let me try this another way. How long have you wanted to like, or how long have you actually been applying yourself to the career of becoming a martial arts teacher? Now that you're actually teaching people where you are
0: steadily teaching in a yeah specific way like with this type of stuff for about a couple years yeah. yeah two just about 3
1: yeah so that that's why I was bringing that up is that have you noticed that you have to be so much more emotionally intelligent when you're teaching people to fight than if you yeah. were just just teaching them a form
0: oh absolutely and when you talk about some conflict situations and and answers to those even visiting, it can trigger an emotional response. So even even visiting like a scenario, so that you can address here's an answer for it. Some people just, you can see they might get a little more kind of antsy or, or kind of fired up, like they're reliving it a little bit. So, yeah. I notice you're really good about that type of thing. You can definitely read where someone's coming from, especially in the context of safely exchanging uh, fists, because <laughs> there has to be some trust there. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I
1: mean, you and I've uh, in the past stood toe to toe, pretty wild and free. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's something that you know you you have to build a as a teacher, you have to build a certain awareness of the people you're teaching, because I mean, I've I've actually literally had to deal with people who thought they were going to beat me up, because for whatever reason they they just got triggered in some way, and and I had to stop them from doing anything really unfortunate. So. Uh, Not saying that to sound tough, it's just to say that no matter what you do in your life, um, in some way I am certain developing the skill of emotional intelligence is going to make you more successful, more effective, and a lot more comfortable with the, the anticipation you have of the worst things that can happen in your career, because you're just getting better at being a being, and better at handling other people's stuff, Um, not in some abrupt way, but in a very compassionate and very emotionally intelligent way. This is, hands down, probably the most important gift people could give themselves and the people in their lives. Is just to become conscious of what all these crazy instincts that can turn into all these crazy emotions that can make us all really crazy and really confused and um, maybe really certain of things that aren't true.
0: and the context which gives rise to these conditions as well just looking at oh i'm walking into this type of situation noticing okay bit of a pattern generally people act this way when this happens yeah type of thing i guess
1: so hopefully the listeners have a good idea of where to start and a bit maybe a, a more subtle appreciation for the the five phases and what they're they're about especially with the idea of emotions just being by themselves pathological and again, the teaching is, it isn't about the emotion making your liver sick. It's about the lack of instinct making your liver sick.
0: It makes sense. Anyway, it's a good place to start. <laughs> it is about starting yep. and then continuing. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Primordial Tao, Present Tao podcast. This has been Episode 5, Emotional Intelligence and Traditional Chinese Medicine. If you have any questions or comments, please leave them wherever you found this episode. You can also find us at Primordial DAO, Present DAO on Facebook. Please like, share, rate, and review. Have a great day, and we'll see you in the next episode.
1: Thank you for exploring and enjoying Primordial DAO, Present DAO. We look forward to sharing more in the next episode.